All right, all right, Luke 22. Um, as we get started, we got a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump right in. You guys ready to jump right in? Awesome. Good deal. Good deal. Something when uh, Heather and I were on staff at, at our church in College Station, the Antioch Church in College Station, one thing we would tell people all the time is if we're going to be together, we might as well believe that God's going to do something crazy. So I'm going to believe that God's going to speak to you through the Bible this morning. Amen? Amen. We'll, we'll get your faith up. Don't worry. We'll get there. All right, Luke 22 is where we're going to be. But before we get into that, I want to do a little bit of a recap, maybe for those of you who haven't been with us, or if you have been with us the last handful of weeks, maybe uh, just want to bring you back up to speed. Life happens, and maybe you don't remember what we've been doing in church the last handful of weeks. We are in, uh, coming towards the back end of a, of a long series together that we're, that we're calling, What's the Big Deal About Jesus? Because we're asking this question, what's the big deal about Jesus? And it may sound like a silly question to ask in church, but I think if we're honest, we have all either asked that question and come to a conclusion whether he is a big deal or not, or maybe you're asking that question right now, or people in your life are asking that question right now. People make a big deal about Jesus, like Christians and stuff, but what's the big deal? What's the big deal about Jesus? And there's uh, been two main points that we're, we're building off of with this question, what's the big deal about Jesus? Because he, whether you think he's a big deal or not, people talk about this question, so he's a big enough deal to try to figure it out one way or another. So there's two main points that we have been working with, and if you've been with us, I hope these still encourage you because when I do the recap every week of these two points, I just preach myself happy in the first about two minutes. So I hope it's still encouraging for you. Number one, the, the, the first reason that Jesus is a big deal, Jesus is a big deal because of who he is. Sounds so simple, but Jesus is not just a uh, mere historical figure. He's not just a religious leader. He wasn't just a nice guy. He wasn't uh, the figment of somebody's imagination. Jesus is God. And that is a big deal. That is a big deal. Help me out. That's a big deal. Am I, am I right? Okay, good. We're, we're good. All right. Jesus is a big deal because of who he is, and he is, he is God. If you believe Jesus is God, then that uh, makes a huge deal on your life and how you respond to him. And, uh, but maybe you don't believe Jesus is God, and if he's not God, then he's really not that big of a deal. I mean, why are we still talking about a guy who lived and had some big social impact? Plenty of people have done that. But we all need to make a decision. What do we think? Is Jesus God or not? we gotta, we got to come up against that and figure out what we're going to do with it. Jesus is a big deal because of who he is, and he is God, number one. Number two, Jesus is a big deal because when you know who Jesus is, you learn who you are. When you know who Jesus is, you learn who you are. Not only is it significant that Jesus is God, but it, significantly has, it has a significant impact on who you are if he is God. If what he said is true, if who he said he was, he really was, this has significant impact on who you are. So those are the two main things that we have been building off of in our series together. I'm already encouraged, and I hope you are too. I could, we, just, we can't forget that. We can't just move past it. That's good. This week, uh, our message is going to sort of be part two to last week's message. So if you were here, that's great. If not, you're not going to be totally out of place or anything. Don't worry. Um, but if you weren't here, uh, please go back and listen to last week's message. It'll be helpful for you later. But this is going to be uh, sort of part two, part two to last week. So if you hated last week's sermon, sorry. We're in for part two. Maybe we can redeem it. If you liked it, then maybe you're excited for part two. I don't know. Either way is what we're doing. We're, we're too far deep into this already. We're just going with part two this morning. We titled uh, last week's message, what did we call it? We called it The King Came Calling. Jesus is a big deal because he is the king, and when the king came, the king came calling. Amen? 
Amen. Jesus came when he announced, we read Mark 1.15, where Jesus stands up, he says, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He lived a life where he uh, made the statement, I am the king and my kingdom is at hand. My kingdom is here. That was in Mark 1.15. And this message that he proclaimed, if it is true that Jesus is king, and if his kingdom is at hand, then that means that uh, he did not simply proclaim a message of salvation that changes your spiritual destination when you die. It does, he does change your spiritual destination when you die, and we need to deal with that. But if he is the king and his kingdom is at hand, then not only does he change your spiritual destination when you die, but salvation is a kingdom invitation for your life. And that's why we're really going after this series. When it comes to our life, what's the big deal about Jesus? And if Jesus is king and his kingdom is at hand, then salvation isn't just an invitation, it's, or isn't just a destination, it's an invitation. Amen? So we got something to live for, not just something to die for, which I think is pretty special. Last week we had a little bit of family time after talking about this idea of the kingdom. That's a big concept. And, and for me, when I started to really follow Jesus in college, the whole kingdom of God thing was really new to me. I had grown up in church and knew about Jesus forgiving my sins and stuff, but this whole idea of the kingdom of God, like what even is that? And so we just sort of started to crack the door on that, and I hope that we just all spend the rest of our lives digging into that because that's a big, big truth. But after talking about the kingdom of God last week, uh, we talked about a few things specific to us as a church, us as a little church family. Where do we fit in the kingdom? And we talked about our calling. What, what has God called us to as a church? I mentioned that after Heather and I knew that we were going to be moving here to Indianapolis to start this church, uh, we still had about a year and a half before we were going to be able to move. So we spent a lot of that time, a lot of that year and a half, praying and asking God, Lord, if we're going to go do this thing, what are you calling us to? We don't want to just go and be really busy Christians that do churchy stuff. Like, what have you called us to? And he gave us three specific things that he called us to. Uh, not just me and Heather and not just this church of Antioch, the organization. But this is for you. If this is, if this is going to be your church family, when you kind of come under the roof, you come under the calling. Does that make sense? We talked about three callings last week that we have as a church. One, we have a call to harvest. We have a call to see the kingdom of God in every area of our life and, and see the kingdom of God made manifest in the areas of our life. We have a call to harvest. Number two, we have a call to influence. We talked about the mustard seed and the leaven and uh, how a little bit of kingdom can have a whole lot of influence. Amen? Amen. You are called to influence. And lastly, we're called to family. We talked about Genesis 12, how uh, it shows us that the vehicle by which God has always wanted to manifest his kingdom is family. It's not just conquering. It's not military might, but family. We're called to harvest. We're called to influence. And we're called to family. Last little bit of wrap-up here. today. Uh, towards the end of the message last week, I briefly touched on our church's mission statement. And that's what I kind of want to develop a little bit more for us this morning as we uh, start to go into Luke 22 here in just a second. It said that our mission statement as a church is this. It's, it's to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. Our prayer is that we would be a people that proclaim this good news of the kingdom of God and we do it with a heart to make others great. Now, when I say mission statement, I don't know if you really care about mission statements or not. Some people think they're really cheesy, they're really corny. Some people think they're great. But the reason I even mention this mission statement is because it's really significant to us. And our mission statement is not uh, really the result of like hours and hours of wordsmithing or marketing development to try to figure out what sounds really good. 
what's going to hook people. The reason it's significant to us is because it simply and profoundly comes out of a life-defining moment for me. That's a really heavy thing to say. But that is why it's a significant thing to us. This is something that God really spoke to us after months and months of prayer. And that's why it matters to us. Because before Heather and I could spend that year and a half praying and asking God what we're called to, we first had to pray and wrestle with, are we going to even move to Indianapolis and do this thing in the first place at all? And we spent about eight months after uh, being asked if we, would be if we would consider moving to Indianapolis to start an Antioch church. And like I said with Mark, you know, we're part of a network of churches and this got, got put on the table. Would you go back home to Indianapolis and start this church? And I said this last week, but, you know, off the bat, it wasn't necessarily something I was all that excited about. Like, my dream in life wasn't necessarily to, like, go home and start another church in Indianapolis and be a pastor and do that whole thing. For me, I was, like, pretty independent. Once I left town, I left town. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so I wasn't all that excited about it uh, going forward. But, but I still knew, even though it wasn't something I was initially thrilled about, I knew God was doing something in, in that question. We, we kind of knew right off the bat, we're going to do that, but uh, we, need to let, we need to have God move on our hearts before we do it. So we spent about eight months praying and asking God to do something special in our hearts and, and, and burst something inside of our hearts as we got ready, as we got ready to move. So this phrase really came to us one morning after, after eight months of praying and saying, God, would you... Why? Why another church in Indianapolis? And there's a lot of great churches here, and um, I'm willing to go anywhere. We're willing to go anywhere and do anything and go back to any. I don't understand. I don't understand why, why you would have us do this. And, and one morning, I was just spending time with Jesus like, like I do every morning and, and praying and reading the Bible, and God really simply but clearly spoke this phrase to my heart, preach the gospel of the kingdom and make others great. And I knew in that moment that uh, it wasn't in the middle of praying for a mission statement. It wasn't even really praying for, uh, like, God, who are you calling us to as a church? It was more so a question that got birth in me just before God for me and him. Lord, like, what, what, are, what, what are we doing here? And he just said, preach the gospel of the kingdom and make others great. And I knew in that moment, I, I remember coming out of, we were, I was in our guest room in college station. I come out of the room, I was like, babe, God just said something that changed my life. And I was like, Hasn't happened a whole lot of times, like two, <laughs> like two times, where it's like, wow, that is going to have impact forever. And it not only became something that defined me, but it, be, it became our mission statement as a church to say, what if we could give our lives to do these two things, to proclaim a kingdom and do it with a heart to make others great. And when I knew that that's what God was calling us to, then all of the questions I had just sort of faded away. Because it was like, wow, you know, we're not moving to Indianapolis because Indianapolis needs another church or because this. There's no other reason other than just God's inviting us. And who am I to turn that down? So let's go do it. Let's preach the gospel of the kingdom and make others great. So last week, the kingdom. We talked about this good news of the kingdom. And this week, I want to touch on this idea, the second part of this phrase, make others great. And if you've got your notes out, uh, you can go ahead and write this at the top of your notes. If you don't have your notes out, this is a prime time to get them out. You can write this at the top of your page. The title for this week's sermon is, What's the Big Deal About Jesus? He Makes Others Great. He Makes Others Great. Is that preaching to anybody yet? Luke 22, He Makes Others Great. So we're going to be in Luke 22. And this is actually the passage that I was studying that morning when God uh, spoke this phrase to my heart. So I'm really excited to be in Luke 22 with you this morning. We got faith for God to speak. Good deal, good deal. 
All right, we're going to read and just kind of make our way through it here in just a moment, but i got to give just one more spot of background for Luke 22 specifically. Is anybody exhausted yet of all my background? Here we go, Luke 22. So what's happening here in Luke 22 is we're picking up uh, the story in the book of Luke. The book of Luke is one of the four Gospels in the Bible, which uh, means it's one of those, the four books in the New Testament that relays to us Jesus' life. In Luke 22, we are very close to the end of the book, which would make sense that we're also very close to the end of Jesus' life. So Luke 22 is happening, the very end of Jesus' life, and we're picking up the story where Jesus is having dinner with his best friends, his disciples. This is his last meal that he is going to have uh, with his disciples before he is betrayed and tried and crucified and then raises from the dead. So this is a significant meal, and you've probably heard of this meal. It's called the Last Supper. Uh, so even if you haven't been in church, you've probably heard about this. And if you spent any time in this church, I feel like every other week we're reading the story out of the Last Supper. So here we go again. God's doing this, I don't know. So Luke 22, that's what's going on, the Last Supper. Everybody caught up. So we're going to read about an interaction and a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. They've, they've finished eating, and uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of an argument that develops with his best friends, his disciples. So he is hours away from being tried, crucified, raised from the dead, and this is how our story begins. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them, being his disciples. So his disciples started arguing as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. How discouraging is that if you're Jesus? <laughs> they have totally missed the point of this meal. And I think we all know what it feels like to totally miss the point, right? I mean, if you like, have a girlfriend or a wife, she's been talking to you about an issue in her life, and you've been giving her a solution, and she gets frustrated at you because you're missing the point. You just are supposed to listen. You're not supposed to offer a solution. But she's missing the point because you have a great solution. And she would just listen. We all know what it feels like to miss the point. Amen? Amen. So these disciples have, have completely, completely missed the point here in verse, verse 24. And like I said, you've got to wonder how discouraging this must be for Jesus. He's sitting there like, guys, like, I'm about to die for all of humanity and like, forgive the whole race of humanity of their sins for all of time and raised from the dead. And you're arguing about who's cooler. And I'm about to entrust you with this message for all of history. And you're going to start the church and here we are at dinner, and you're arguing about who's cooler. This is a discouraging moment for Jesus. They have totally missed the point. So Jesus sees this opportunity and says, okay, I don't have a whole lot of time left. I have got to get these guys back on point because I'm about to, you know, die and raise from the dead, and they got to get this stuff straight. So he uh, steps into a story here. Uh, he gives an illustration to bring these guys back on point. So if your friends have ever really annoyed you, not that bad compared to this. Just stick with them. God's good. Side note. All right. Verse 25 is where he continues his story. All right. So a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as one who serves? Jesus draws a contrast here. He, he comes up with this hypothetical situation that would make sense to them, and he draws a contrast between two people in this story. And he's trying to get his disciples to understand this contrast, and I think it's fair to say that he wants us to understand this as well. 
he draws their attention to the world that they live in, the world around them. And he, he says, you know, you, you live in a world where power and position and influence are lorded over other people. And he, he mentions kind of the kings of the day, the influencers of the day, but I don't think that that's a concept isolated to back in Bible times, right? I think it's fair to apply that to the world that we live in. We live in a world where you pursue passion, uh, uh, position and influence and power because it's cool to be in charge. I mean, I think so. It's cool to be in charge. And, and, and sometimes it's like if you're in charge, then nobody's going to push back on you and you can make yourself better while everybody else has to serve what it is that you want to do. We live in a world where position and power and influence are lorded over other people. And it's just so you can exercise power over people. There's a lot of value in really cool titles because if you have a cool title, people give you credit for doing great things that they assume you do based on a cool title. It's just fun. But you live in a world where position, power, and influence are lorded over other people. But Jesus starts making his point. So he, he starts making his point by bringing their attention to the world around them and, and the world that they live in. But when he gets done telling them what the world looks like around them, he says this phrase that basically says, this is how they do it. But then he says this phrase, but not so with you. But not so with you. He's drawing a stark contrast. Say, this is everything that happens around you, but not so with you. The world around you has made you ask this question, who is the greatest? But you need to know this isn't how you do things. He's just not even like taking time. He's like, this is not how you do it. We're running out of time, guys. But not so with you. This isn't how you do it. He says, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. He's saying in a world that is obsessed with making itself great. People are obsessed with making themselves great. Positions are obsessed with making themselves great. In a world obsessed with making itself great, let it not be so with you. Keep yourself from the obsession and the distraction of making yourself great. That's kind of a hard word. It's uh, tough to get around that sometimes. You know, sometimes we do a good job of that. Sometimes we don't. The disciples were doing a very bad job in this moment. But God's still stuck with them, and that's encouraging in and of itself. But he's saying, in this world that you live in, this is how they do it, but let it not be so with you. So the first thing that Jesus says in this moment where he is, his red lights are flashing, it's an emergency, he's about to die, and his disciples are totally missing the point of the last three years and the whole reason he came to earth. In this emergency moment, the first thing he does, he says, okay, point number one, this is how the world does it. Don't do it like you see the people around you doing it. Let it not be so with you. So the first thing he does is he points their attention. He directs, he, he makes a point about them. This is not how you do things. Let it not be so with you. But the, to make the real point I think he's trying to make is he, he first has to get their attention by saying, you're, you're, you're missing it, and so I need to make a point about you. Let it not be so with you. But then he changes directions because he first points, he, he points their attention to the world around them. And then he points their attention to themselves, let it not be so with you, but then he points the attention to him. And this is kind of where he's trying to get to. This is the point of the story that he's taking. He's not just saying, oh, do things opposite of the world. He wants to say, do things like me. Do things like me. So he changes directions. He goes from looking at the world to looking at his disciples to having them look at him. And he continues in verse 26 and 27. I know we read it, but we uh, have just talked about this phrase, but not so with you. And, and he continues. He says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader 
as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. What Jesus does here in verse 26 and 27, I think is um, absolutely fascinating. And something that I've glazed over for a long, long time. But, but what Jesus says here in this illustration that he is making to his friends is, is absolutely incredible. Because if you've, if you've spent much time reading the Bible, um, then you know that Jesus has this big habit of making what you think is the right answer the wrong answer. Am I right? Most of the time Jesus asks a question, you're like, I know the answer, but you're probably going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> so if Jesus asks you what 2 plus 2 is, the right, an- the right answer is, that's a good question, Jesus. What do you think? <laughs> so he asks them, them this question, and, and he has this habit of, of making what you think is the right answer, you know, not the right answer. So um, he he, he draws this, this illustration. He says, okay, I'm going I'm to point your attention to two people. So uh, Austin and Chris, why don't you all come up here? Can you all come up here? Chris, come on up. Hop up. Y'all can, y'all can go to the stairs. Give these guys a round of applause. Put them on the spot. Good thing you guys dressed up today. Looking good. This is your moment. Cheer them on. Come on. They look good. Mighty men of God. Okay. So come on up here. All right. Austin. Chris, ladies and gentlemen. All right, y'all stand right here. Perfect. Wow. All right, Austin and Chris are up here. And Jesus makes this illustration. He, 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 says, he says this thing. He goes, okay, so let's say you are at a party, which I know none of you ever go to. So let's say you're at a party. Who is a bigger deal at the party? The person sitting at the table or the person serving the people at the table? So, um... Why don't you take a seat at the table right here? He said recline, so I think they they usually sat on the floor. Can you do that? Yes, good job, good job. Okay, and Chris is going to be over here with a drink. So he says you're at this party, and uh, all the party guests are sitting at the table. Who's, Who's a bigger deal at the party, the person who's sitting at the table or the one who's serving the person at the table? Nice. So this is Jesus asking a question. So obviously, the answer is that the guy sitting at the table is a bigger deal. But since Jesus is asking, and this is the Bible we're talking about, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, you think this person's a bigger deal, but actually the person serving is a bigger deal because serving is nice. And this is Jesus talking, and this is the Bible, and you're supposed to serve people. So uh, actually, Chris is a bigger deal. That's what I expect Jesus to say. But he does something completely ridiculous, I think. And he does something that, honestly, if Jesus didn't say it, it it would be borderline heresy to me. Because what Jesus does is he says, okay, who's greater, the one sitting at the table or the one serving the person at the table? Not only does he not flip-flop who is greater, he says, no, the one sitting at the table, obviously. But when I come, I come as the one who serves. Who is greater here? But when I come, I come as the lesser. There's a difference between flipping which one is greater and saying you come as the lesser. This is scandalous to me that God would say this. Who's greater? 
The one sitting at the table, the one who serves. Well, yes, you're right, the one sitting at the table. But not, I've just talked about the world that you live in, and I've just talked about I don't want it to be so with you, but I, want, I need to really make the point that I'm trying to make. When I show up, I come as the one who serves. I come as the lesser in the room. This is fascinating to me. Give our guys a round of applause. You guys did great. <laughs> Thanks. Jesus puts these two people in contrast, and he puts himself in the shoes of the lesser. What Jesus says here is, uh, is not that you need to fight about who's going to be the greater, and not even that the greater people in the room are actually the one who serves. But what he's saying is that when God puts on flesh and bone, and when God lives the same life that we have to live on the same broken planet that we have to live it on, when he puts on flesh and bone, where kings and rulers exercise lordship over those around them and chase after great titles, it is not so with him. When God shows up, God shows up among us as one who serves, as one who gives his life for the most undeserving, for the most broken, for the most sinful. He does not come to lord his greatness over those weaker than him. He comes to leverage his greatness for those weaker than him. This is who our God is. This is how Jesus shows up in the room. He says, this is how the world does it, but let it not be so with you. Let it be like I do it. Don't leverage your greatness. Or don't, don't sorry, don't lord your greatness over those who are weaker. Leverage your greatness for those who are weaker. Picture that Jesus paints for us is the total summation and the point of his entire life and his ministry. This is the gospel. This is the good news that greatness personified steps in the room and becomes as the lesser for the sake of the lesser. He does not lord his greatness, but he leverages his greatness. And only in understanding the scope of Jesus' greatness can you understand the scope of his sacrifice. That when Jesus shows up, he comes as one who serves. When Jesus shows up, he comes as one to make others great. He shows up in his greatness, not to use it for the place of privilege, but to use it to lift others up. He comes to make others great. Amen? Amen. This is, this is radical, what Jesus says. This is a big deal that Jesus says this. But what's crazy to me, is that the story isn't over. He's not done saying what he wants to say. Jesus isn't done. He's already pointed their attention to the world around them. He said, let it not be so with you. Now he's saying, I want you to look at me and what I do and how I do it. And this is, how I, this is what I want you to do. But now in these final verses that Jesus is talking about with his people here, he changes gears from talking about what he wants them to do to talking about who they are. I want you to catch that. Jesus is a big deal because of who he is. And he's, explaining, he's been explaining to them this whole time who he is. But now that they know who Jesus is, he wants them to learn who they are. We're about to see that not only does what Jesus do give us context for what we ought to do, but who Jesus is gives us context for who we are. 
I love what he does here. Verse 28 through 30, he says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a lot here talking about kings and kingdoms and tribes and thrones and judges and all these sorts of things. There's a lot here in these couple of verses, but I think the point is really clear for us this morning, what Jesus is trying to say. And to understand the point that Jesus is trying, trying to make here, we've got to go back to the beginning of this interaction in verse 24, where they're totally missing the point and they're having a dispute about who among them is to be regarded as the greatest. Let's go back to the beginning in verse 24. He says, or verse 24, they're arguing about who is the greatest. In verse 24, we saw, you know, these guys, they're, they're fishermen. There's like a lawyer among them. There's maybe a doctor. There's, there's some common guys. And, and in verse 24, they're sitting around a table arguing as fishermen. But the next verse, in verse 25, Jesus starts talking about kings. He starts to teach them a lesson and references kings. Now, why would he be teaching fishermen a lesson by talking to them about kings? That doesn't make sense. Fishermen don't need to know about kings. They got nothing to do with kings. We need to talk to fishermen like fishermen and kings like kings. But why is he talking to fishermen about kings? Well, verse 29 gives us the point that they've been missing this whole time. When Jesus steps in and he says, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. In other words, I assign to you the exact same way that my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You see, they thought that this last supper, they thought that at this dinner, there was just some fishermen hanging out with a carpenter. But what Jesus wanted them to see was that at this last supper, at this table, it wasn't just fishermen hanging out with a carpenter. God was trying to raise up kings. Jesus wants them to see that they're sitting at a table, not with a carpenter, but with God. They're arguing as fishermen who want to be great, but Jesus is trying to talk to them as kings who have been made great. Saying if, you, if you're trying to make yourself great, you've totally missed the point. And the same goes for us today. If you're trying to make yourself great, Jesus wants you to know you're totally missing the point. Working your way up to being greatness, we're totally missing the point. Jesus is not a big deal because he's a moral religious guy who came to change your behavior. Jesus is a big deal because he came to change your identity. He's changing them from fishermen into kings. He says, I am the king and I assign to you in the same way my father assigned to me a kingdom that you would sit at my table. Who's the greater ones that sits at the table? Everybody's trying to clamor for a seat at the table, but I'm trying to let you know if you understood my kingdom and if you understood the seat you have at my table, you'd be a whole lot less worried about your seat at every other table. If you understood the greatness that I've given you, you wouldn't have to lord it over other people. You'd be free to leverage it for the weaker people. If you understood the greatness I've given you, you'd stop trying to earn greatness so hard. 
He's trying to change not just their behavior. He's not just saying, no, you should be nicer to other people. Yeah, fair. Everybody's trying to be nicer to other people. But he's saying, I'm not just coming to change your behavior. I'm not just saying don't be like the world around you. I'm not just saying don't let it be so with you. And I'm not even saying just do things like the way I do them. I'm trying to tell you that in the same way I've been made a king, I am giving you a kingdom. He's working it all the way back from what you do to who you are. You're trying to work your way up to being great, but if you could just understand the greatness that I've given you, if you could just understand the seat you have at my table. And this, I mentioned this earlier, but this is why we're doing our seat at the table offering this, this, this year as we, as we end the year, because you're free to be part of this church and come in and out and be a part of whatever it is that you want to be a part of and, and come, as, come and just kind of like sit at the table and, and eat. And, and that's all great. You are 100% free to do that. But you're invited to be a mar- part of this church as one who serves those who come and sit at the table. You're invited in the good news of the gospel to not just live among the world as one who needs to receive, but who one who has something to give. And this is why we're doing this at the end of the year. This is why we're doing this offering because you are invited to be on, among this church as one who serves, to bring what you have to set the table for others. Will you see yourself, not just in this offering, will we see ourselves in life as those who are in need or those who have something to give? Because Jesus wants, us to, point, wants to point us to the greatness that he's given us. You see, whether you take part in this offering or not, or whether it's about being nicer to other people and serving other people as they sit down at your table, literally or metaphorically. It's not just about, oh, let's be sweet people and and do nice things for God. It's about stepping into the invitation of the kingdom of God. There's an invitation for us. I just wonder what would happen if in a world that can't seem to find which way is up, the church rose up and lived lives that proclaimed The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we're going to see this kingdom made manifest in our lives by just trying to make others great. Not because we think less of ourselves, but because we really do believe that this gospel is so absurd that Jesus has already made us greater than we can make ourselves. So I've got nothing to earn, so I'm just free to keep giving. We can preach this gospel of the kingdom and make others great because you see, Jesus is a big deal because of who he is. He is the king, and he comes as a servant. Jesus is a big deal because when you know who Jesus is, you learn who you are. Like we said last week, when you know that Jesus is the king, you learn that you are called. But when you know that Jesus is the king that comes as a servant, you learn that you are called to make others great. And that's who we are. And that's why Jesus is a big deal. So we're going to wrap up our time this morning. We're going to worship together one more song. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand. We're going to worship in a song together. And as we worship, I want to just do more than just sing a song. I want to invite all of us to to kind of take a seat at the Last Supper table and come to Jesus and allow him to highlight any area in our life where we've gotten distracted by the obsession to maybe make ourselves great. We've gotten distracted by trying to make ourselves something and we've totally missed the point. That Jesus didn't just save us for a destination when we died, but but for an invitation into a kingdom for our life. 
And maybe he has given you more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Maybe he is taking care of you even where you don't see it. And maybe instead of being distracted by making ourselves great, we are free in this good news of a kingdom led by a good king to make others great. Because I think there's something for us here. If, if we can be a people that go into our friendships, that go into our families, that go into our workplaces, that go into the spheres of influence that we're called to, to see harvest and influence and family, if we go into those with a heart where we're trying to have everybody else make us great, we're totally going to miss the point. We're going to miss the invitation. But maybe we can go in there understanding this good news of the kingdom, and we can do it with a heart to make others great. And I just wonder what God could do with the people committed and convinced that this kingdom really is good news. And we can see it with a heart to make others great. Amen. So let's worship together. We're going to have a few people standing over here uh, just as a prayer team to pray with you. If there's a way that you need to respond, if you need uh, just to pray, if you need to confess something, if you need to turn from something. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, we mentioned, he said, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe the good news. Just turn from everything else and believe the good news. Maybe you need to turn from some distractions in your life and believe just the good news that God's already done everything that you're trying to do for yourself. So let me pray for us as we worship together. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you have made us great, that you have given us a greatness that we can never earn for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we will be a people uh, that pull up the seat, our seat to your table and we let you highlight the areas in our life that we've been distracted by trying to make ourselves great and we've been distracted from the opportunities that you're trying to give us to serve and to lift others up. Lord, I pray that the way we make others great around us would make people wonder why we're so free to make others great. And I pray that our answer would not just be that we think less of ourselves, but we think a lot of Jesus. We think a lot of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for paving the way for us, for showing us what it looks like for greatness to walk into a room and leverage greatness for the weaker instead of lord it over them. So Lord, would that be a mark on who we are as a people, as friends, as family, and as a church. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. <laughs>